With Citizenship and Immigration Canada making it increasingly difficult to speak to an officer, there are a few places to turn for information that can be relied upon. The Canadian Immigration Podcast was created to fill this void by offering the latest information on Canadian law, policy, and practice. Please welcome ex-immigration officer and Canadian immigration lawyer, Mark Holthy. As he answers a wide variety of immigration questions and shares practical tips and guidance to help you along your way. Well, everyone, welcome back to another episode of, well, a Canadian Immigration Institute podcast. And this one is all about job offers. Now, many of you out there are probably looking at job offers as your only way of immigrating to Canada because your points just aren't high enough. Well, in this episode today, I've invited a special guest, Chanel, to join me to talk all about job offers so that you do not make the mistake that we've seen so many people make before. Welcome, I'm Chanel. Good. How are you doing? Good, thank you. How are you? <laughs> good. I'm messing around a little bit here with some new music, and we're trying to avoid the dreaded YouTube complaint that somehow we're using copyrighted music, which has been the bane of my existence, even though we've paid for it. So, Yes, people probably didn't want to know about that. But anyways, that's how we're rolling here. So we'll dive right into our topic today, which is everything that you need to know about job offers in Canada. So I want to start from the aspect, Chanel, of why you decided to choose this topic to write your blog post on. And those of you who have been following us for a while, Chanel wrote this awesome blog post, which you guys have to go check out. It's hard to believe that it was over a month ago already. All on this topic. Yeah. So why did you choose to write this one? So I guess several reasons. Firstly, you know, in our work, we're always seeing this issue arising where people are coming across job offers that are offered to them for a fee and trying to navigate the issue of whether they're legitimate or not. But then also in my own experiences, when I was relocating to Canada, you know, navigating the, the process, I came across agencies, immigration consultants who were offering these full package services of guaranteeing jobs to come to Canada. And it just didn't make a lot of sense to me. Having looked into it further, it seems like these are very widespread processes, which are not always legitimate and actually are illegal at times. So I was able to navigate through that and realize that these were not appropriate services for me to be using, but I can see how other people can fall for it. They come across as very legitimate and you would trust the service being offered to you. On top of it, my background is um, that I've actually also worked in human resources previously. So I have experienced recruiting. So I can speak on that side as well a little bit with my expertise in the area. Awesome. And you know, this is something that we've talked about a lot within the Canadian Immigration Institute, especially in the live stream, Chanel. I get a lot of people that are asking about job offers. I get a lot of people that send me private Facebook messages saying, hey, I have this job offer. Is it legitimate? And, you know, one of the things I think we all can offer in terms of advice is if you're asking whether or not something is legitimate, well, there's probably a very good chance that it isn't. So maybe you can talk just generally, Chanel, about the difference you know, between, well, really people that are providing immigration related kind of help and those that are providing job offer assistance. And is there, you know, sometimes we have to clear the air a little bit and identify the difference between who can actually recruit and who can provide immigration services because the water gets a little bit muddy. 
Yeah, of course. So immigration services to begin with are always provided by a lawyer or a consultant and, you know, it's a regulated profession. So you wouldn't find an everyday recruiter recruitment consultancy without the authorized individuals to provide those services actually operating and providing immigration advice. That's something that you need to either be qualified as an immigration consultant or be a lawyer, which takes many years of studying and experience to accomplish. So not everybody can give this sort of advice versus on the other side, recruitment that is not as regulated. So it can be done by a wider range of individuals. So a lawyer or an immigration consultant technically could be offering recruitment services on the side as well. But in general, the most reputable recruiters you'll find will work for bigger recruitment agencies. They'll have a lot of experience in the industry and that really will be their specialty. It's from experience, I can say it's a very fast paced job. So there's not normally enough time to be offering other services beyond recruiting services if you're good at your job. So that's an easy way to, to navigate. You will probably find usually they're separate. I, you don't come across lawyers or immigration consultants that often either who need to be offering recruitment services because we're also very busy. We have enough clients to be sharing our expertise with on the immigration side. And one thing too, I'll add is that many provinces make it illegal for you to pay someone to find you a job in that province. And that's something that a lot of people don't know. And in particular, we'll get into some of the scary aspects of this recruiting world. It can be very, you know, very seedy, very sketchy when you're dealing with individuals that are not reputable, that are not licensed recruiting agencies in Canada, and even individuals providing immigration help that are not authorized to do so. So those are some of the main issues that we see as practitioners all the time, because when things go south, that's when people contact us. Okay, so let's see, what was the next thing? What would you like to talk about next, Chanel? And I'll just take us back to the blog post here. You guys have to go through and read this. And we're not just going to talk about this, you know, step by step all the way through the blog because we want you to go back and go check it out because there's a lot of really helpful information in there. But, you know, what are some of the issues that you see people facing, Chanel, you know, when they're entering into this world of job offers? And maybe the best thing to start with is what is a job offer in the context of immigration? So in the context of immigration, a job offer is from an employer who in, in most cases, unless there's an exemption, has obtained a labor market impact assessment and is approved to recruit someone under that from overseas. That means that they have gone through a, a pretty lengthy process of demonstrating that they weren't able to find a suitable Canadian based candidate. That skill set is lacking here and that's why they're having to turn to the overseas candidate to bring them over. So that process involves advertising the position and them actually actively going through the process of interviewing candidates to determine that skill set does not exist here already. So that's not an easy process. It's not quick and not all employers will be willing to do that, nor will they qualify because there are a lot of positions where there are plenty of candidates in Canada who have the skill sets and who would be deemed as having to employ above going overseas and looking at international applicants. Now, I know you talked a little bit about some of the experience that you had with people offering a lot of different services, including job offers, and that were charging individuals. And so what is the yeah. problem, at least in immigration terms, with individuals charging someone to find a job for them? 
Well, it's, it's not even in immigration terms, but firstly, it's illegal. In Canada, you're not actually allowed to charge candidates or as a recruiter or any professional offering such recruitment services, you're not allowed to charge the candidate a fee for that service. The fee is always charged to the client and the client is the organization who is looking to hire an applicant to fill a need. So that's the biggest red flag. Anytime you as a candidate are asked to pay a fee for an interview or for a job, then that's not a legitimate position. Or if it is, they're recruiting in an unlegal and unethical way. And I would stay far away from that organization because that raises a lot of red flags. So this is something also that I think we need to talk to people about. You know, what are the consequences if you do? So, and I'll talk about the practical aspects, but legally, like what are the ramifications? Like who cares? Let's say you... Let's say you've got this, someone who says, you know what, for $15,000 Canadian, I'll set you up with a job offer and it's your ticket to Canada. You're going to get that extra 50 points or whatever's needed to, to push you over the edge and get your invitation to apply. It's only going to cost you $15,000. No problem. So legally, what are some of the problems that people can run into with this situation? Well, it's clearly not a real job offer. If you're paying for it, you're not coming over with the intention of, of legitimately doing that job, performing the duties and being paid from it, unless you're earning back that money you've paid in a fee, which is still, it's a fake process. So if you have a fake job offer like that and you're presenting that to immigration as your job offer in order to come to Canada, that's a very severe misrepresentation, which could result in you being banned for five years. And it, it might ruin any future chances you have of trying to immigrate to Canada. Yeah. And I'm glad you pointed that out because what people don't understand, some people think, well, it's worth the risk. It's five years. Trust me. If you get a bar from Canada for five years, you are going to have an unbelievably hard time getting any other future immigration application approved, temporary or permanent. And so this leaves a mark on you for life. Now, Chanel, there are individuals overseas that are doing this, and there are people in Canada who are telling our international students, hey, we know that you're not going to rank high enough. The CRS scores are really high. I've got this employer who's in on this with me, which, oh, I see this all the time. For $30,000, they'll guarantee you a job offer. You can even come work in their fast food franchise and uh, you pay that $30,000 and they'll uh, obtain an LMIA as a food service supervisor for you. It's your ticket to Canada, small price to pay, let's do it. So individuals like that, Chanel, I don't know if you have any messages to say to them. I just think that it's such a dishonest way of going about it and you're using people you're really taking advantage of the most vulnerable you know people who are looking to come here for a better life that process in itself is difficult and expensive so on top of that you're trying to take their hard-earned money away from them and offering something that is not a legitimate job even if you have them working for you just the fact that so much of that process is falsified um, and unethical and illegal, it means if they are caught as well, you're jeopardizing their future and their ability to move here and fill their dreams of living in Canada. Yeah. It's illegal and immoral on so many levels. Yeah. It's one thing I know that with our code of professional conduct as lawyers, we are prevented from disclosing any confidential information that comes to us from our clients. That solicitor client privilege is sacrosanct. It is something that we do not in any way breach. 
And I cannot tell you how many times, Chanel, that I've had people come to me, disclose that they've paid these crazy amounts of money for this job offer from this crooked employer, which I wish I could shut down and put out of business and tell the world how awful they are, who is exploiting them, who is making them work more hours and is basically paying them half of what they said they were going to pay them. It's at times even less than minimum wage, all under this guise of you're getting a ticket to Canada. Well, one of the things that we see all the time is this. And then the person says, well, I don't want to say anything because I'm going to lose out on my opportunity of staying in Canada. And what are your thoughts to individuals like that who say, look, I have no choice. I have to do this because otherwise I just won't qualify. You know, this job offer is the only way that I'm going to immigrate to Canada. I, I just think it's too risky to pursue that route. It's, it is a difficult position to be in. And I know that you and I working on some files together, Mark, we've seen this where we have had clients who are too afraid to make the move because not only are they tied into that employer because of the, the work permit, but also culturally, they are often em employers and other consultants they're working with who within their community play a big part and they're worried about the effect that will have on them from a community perspective. Yeah. It, it's very difficult for people to speak up in these situations, but I think it's very important that you do because the risk that it will backfire is there and that can ruin your chances. And, you know, if you're someone with the skills and the willingness, there are other routes you can look into pursuing that are safer, they're legitimate. And as long as you go through it um, properly, you can then potentially become a permanent resident or a citizen and stay in Canada long-term. And from another perspective, if we keep letting these consultants and these employers get away with it, the practice will just continue. And it's really something that overall we should be aiming to to stop and prevent from, from happening in the future. So other people are not taken advantage of in this situation. Yeah, exactly. And one thing I want to point out too, because obviously if you find yourself in this situation and you've paid any money and you know that it's illegal, then you've lost your power in Canada. Essentially that consultant, that agent, whoever is doing this, even the employer who's in cahoots with them, they all know that they've got you. They know that the only way you're getting out of this is by admitting that you paid money for your job offer. And I don't know how people are able to sleep at night. You know, I understand the, the desperation that some people have of being able to stay. And it is, it's heart-wrenching for me to watch people who see their opportunities disappear because of decisions that they've made. But when you pay for a job offer, you put yourself in a position of unbelievable vulnerability because at any point they legitimately can say, well, someone's going to tell the authorities and then they're going to find out that you're breaking the law. And then you're the one that's going to be sent home, not the Canadian employer that should be have their business shut down. My goodness, I would love for people to, to set up this website of crooked employers that they know. And the problem is that there are so many. That's the issue. So many that are happy to take an extra $10,000 to have this employee come work for free in their premise. And all they have to do is just offer, you know, go through the LMIA process to get a job offer for them. And so, but I want to point something out, Chanel, to those people that are wondering what options do I have available for myself? So this is the actual immigration officer program delivery instructions that surround this special work permit for vulnerable workers. And so this international mobility program is all of the various work permits that you can obtain without needing a labor market impact assessment. And this special open work permit for vulnerable workers that's built in 
right into the immigration regulation, section 207.1. It's specifically designed to help protect people that are in these types of abusive situations. And they describe all kinds of different things that could constitute abuse. And, you know, and when you're going through this and you can see here, they even have examples of these, you know, the migrant workers repeatedly harassed, for example, unwanted physical or verbal behavior that is offending or humiliating by even a coworker in their workplace. The migrant worker is threatened by their employer if they complain about their work conditions. The migrant worker has exited an abusive situation, but would be at risk if they returned Right? So you can see there's a whole bunch of things here and a lot of things are encompassed within anything, whether it's a legal activity, intimidation, threats, whatever it might be. And yeah, and so understand that this type of exploitation that happens, there is a mechanism in place and you can see they have all of the different kinds of abuses and everything laid out in here. But I really want to encourage people, if they do have any issues with this, if they have any concerns, if they're just not sure exactly what options they have available, they can reach out and they can just jump right over to our website and book a consultation with us and we can help them to sort out uh, some of the options that are available in these brutal types of, of situations. And remember, it's always confidential. So when you reach out to a lawyer, you never have to worry about any of that information getting out if you don't want it to. But at least you can kind of learn your options. So... You know, Chanel, this is her baby. This is something that she does a, a lot of work with. So don't hesitate to reach out to her for some direction and guidance. All right. Anything else to add to those vulnerable workers who are being exploited or, or those that are thinking about getting into a situation because they don't feel like there's any other options? Do you have anything else that you'd like to add, Chanel? I would just reiterate what you were saying, Mark. The thing is, you don't know what your options are until you truly explore them. And it really is worth speaking to a lawyer and, and trying to find out what those options are, doing your research. Because if you're in an abusive situation, you, you should never have to stay that way. There are always other options. And it's just about understanding what they are, how feasible they are, and what you need to do to qualify for them. And once you understand that, you can start working towards getting out of that situation and putting yourself in a much better position. And I also want to show and point out one other thing to individuals that are thinking they have no options. How many of you even thought that there was going to be a program called the Temporary Resident to Permanent Resident Pathway? So how many individuals knowingly subjected themselves to horrible working environments in order to get this elusive job offer? And then all of a sudden, this policy comes up, this wonderful public policy that created this TR to PR pathway. Like we never know exactly what the government's going to do. And so sometimes options will open up where then you would have had an opportunity to pursue it but because of decisions that you made, you know, illegal or otherwise, they really limit your choices. And that's something that I definitely want to bring to, to people's attention. And also the fact that you may not know your options because you're listening to the people that are exploiting you. They're telling you this is the only way when if you reach out to a representative, you can get the actual information that you need to make decisions based on fact and not just the manipulation of certain parties that are taking your money. So keep all of that in mind. Now, Chanel, we've talked a lot about why you shouldn't pursue awful bad job offers. Let's shift gears. You know, so if someone says, I, I want to try to find a job in Canada, legitimately, well, what are my options? 
So do you have any thoughts on that, finding a job so, in Canada? I mean, the first thing to do is just start a job search. You have to assess your skills and education and really figure out what your niche is. Do some research to find out which provinces might have a need for those skills and just start using online um, tools to start a job search. So even websites like Indeed will have a, a lot of jobs listed. They tend to filter jobs from all job sites that are posted. Sometimes the jobs on there are out of date, but that's a good place to start to see all jobs that are available and filter down based on your expertise. LinkedIn is a great tool. That I think is really where the future of job searching is going. All reputable employers have a LinkedIn page and they actively recruit on there. So getting your LinkedIn profile up to scratch, searching for jobs through LinkedIn, and even connecting with and reaching out to prospective employers who could be of interest. It's a case of doing a lot of research and pursuing those opportunities as they arise, but don't discard the chance to connect with someone who might have a friend in the industry or might be a good professional contact moving forward, because those can often also lead to, to job offers when a skill is identified as lacking. Mm -hmm. So just start there with some online research, really evaluating your skills and applying to jobs. Now, Chanel, if you have a, a particular position you think you might be qualified for and have a good shot at, can you offer any advice on kind of the resume or how you present yourself to that employer? How does one try to stand out? Yeah, so a cover letter is really important to include. That for overseas candidates, I always find is one of the most important things because you can not only just highlight your skills in it, you can also explain your situation, your interest in coming to Canada, your readiness to move, the fact that you can be there in a couple of months. You can really emphasize that it would be a smooth and quick transition coming over and draw links between your overseas experience and that of the local organization. Sometimes, you know, experience is worded differently or programs used are different, but they're interchangeable skills that you just have to draw links to from overseas to the local experience. I would also recommend just on your CV, highlighting your experience and your education at the top. Canadian CVs are presented a little bit differently to many other countries in that they do prefer shorter CVs, normally one to two pages. So you can't go into too much detail on your work experience if you've held a number of jobs, but you've just got to make sure that those key things you've done in your job are highlighted on that first page. And it's one of the first things they see because employers, when reviewing um, an application, they'll very quickly look for that link in experience. And if they don't see it, they might move on to the next candidate. So you've got to make sure it's it's right there. And it's the first thing that grabs their attention and entices them to read further. Excellent. All right. Well, obviously, if you're overseas and, and you're looking to try to come to Canada and you're looking for a job offer, recruiting agencies are one of the sources that you can tap into. Chanel, how do you tell Who's legitimate and who is not to be trusted? Is so, there any kind um, of flags or warning signs? I would look out for actual established agencies. So any of the large recruitment agencies that have an international presence, they most of them also have a Canadian presence and they are legitimate businesses. They operate in many countries around the world. So any large recognizable name like that is a good place to start. But even just looking locally in the cities where you're looking to, to move to that are of interest, you know, if you do a Google search for recruitment agencies and your area of specialty, for example, IT, 
Toronto, you probably will find a list of businesses that come up just by clicking through, looking at their websites, you'll be able to identify how legitimate they are based on the number of consultants they have, the job postings they have on their website, their availability to meet. It's very easy to identify that, whereas a, a, a not so legitimate agency might just be someone who's operating on their own. They don't have a, a web presence. You're unable to find any real information on them and they don't have jobs posted. They aren't advertising positions that they're actively recruiting on. So as long as you can find those job postings and you can talk to a real person who you know is based in a Toronto office with a business that has at least a few people uh, working for it, then that's likely to be a legitimate recruitment agency. And one of the things that I run into a lot, Chanel, is when people are asking me, is this job offer legitimate? Often they've had very little contact with the actual employer. So can you reveal a little bit, like kind of pull the curtains back a little bit on that process of what a person can expect when they're going through a legitimate recruitment process and uh, to know that, okay, this is legitimate or this looks a little shady. Like are there certain steps that you can expect within that process? Yeah, the process is a little bit different if you're going through a recruitment agency versus applying directly. But in both processes, you do have direct contact uh, to the employer at certain points. So if you're applying directly, you'll find that your point of contact will probably be a HR representative or recruiter from the HR team. And they will manage the process and all communications with you. But you will be given interviews with the hiring managers and the team probably at least two rounds of interviews and those would be face to face. In some circumstances, you might start with a telephone interview, but you would have at least one face to face interview if you're overseas and especially in these uh, unusual times, those are conducted virtually, but you'll still be able to sit in a Zoom chat, you know, Skype online and see the people who are interviewing you and talk to them face to face in that sense. If you're going through a recruitment agency, then the recruiter technically fills that role that the HR representative would have. They do the negotiating and they're the ones who communicate with you, who set up the interviews, but you do still have those face-to-face -face interviews with the employer. You have that contact and if you have questions for them, you can feed that back to them through the recruiter. So whilst the recruiter bridges that gap in HR, you know, if you have any questions or something you need to relay to the employer, they still have a duty to do that on your behalf and to relay any concerns or questions that the employer has to you. They technically work like a, a mediator between the two. They're trying to match a suitable candidate with a suitable posting and just act as the middleman in, in, in setting that up and bringing you two together. Yeah. So if you have no contact with the alleged employer that you're actually getting the job offer from, if you've never spoken to them, if you've never had any kind of an interview with them, everything has been through that third party. Those are significant warning signs that this may not be a legitimate recruitment. Now, ultimately, how it all plays out may vary depending upon if you're overseas or if you're in Canada looking for a job. But I don't know too many employers that are going to hire someone that they've never, ever spoken to or had a chance to interact with or meet. You know, there has to be a fit. The credentials might match with what the job description says, but most employers want to talk to you. So if you're overseas and whoever's doing the recruiting for you has never even suggested that you have an opportunity to meet or connect with someone in the employer's organization, significant warning signs. All right. 
Okay. Well, thank you so much, Chanel. This was great. This was a good topic and I know that it'll be really helpful to all of our listeners. Yeah, I hope so. And I would just recommend again that everyone gets over to the blog post and gives it a read because it goes much more in detail through the topic. And then any you know, issues or questions, you can always come back to us to book a consultation to address your specific situations. Perfect. All right, well, let's shift gears a little bit here and we will go to Q&A. I know that we've had uh, some people that have been connecting in here. We'll give a shout out to Fernando, he says, hello, Mark and Chanel. Okay, let's see what else we got here. Peter, good to see you. Hey, Peter's getting pretty direct with this. He says it's total wickedness from those agencies. It is. is. There's nothing wrong with describing it like that, right? Let's see here. Okay, Hardy says, what's up with the new AINP tech pathway? We need a job offer, tips for outlanders. Well, just like Chanel has offered throughout this, connecting with employers and especially within that industry, the tech pathway is still really new. I'm going to have a discussion with one of the heads of the AINP to talk about some of these new programs that they're trying to roll out. They're not super popular. And the reason for that is exactly what you've described. It's often easier to pursue other immigration pathways than to consider the new AINP programs for entrepreneurs and those involved in tech. So we'll just have to see how that plays out. But watch, and I may just do a video on that topic coming up in the future. Okay, let's see what else we have here. Oh, Adriana, awesome. She says, what are your thoughts regarding South America and other LMIA required countries, even when they can try LinkedIn, Job Bank, Indeed? Honestly, there is no option. And that's a good point. What are your thoughts on that, Chanel? I mean, I don't think it's necessarily related to which country you're from. If there's an LMIA that's required, you're going to have to have a specific skill set which really does fill a role where the employer can't find local skills. And if you currently don't have that, then it's worth just looking into how you can upskill at home. How can you grow your career and actually get that experience that will be um more valuable over in Canada? Can you take extra courses? Can you upskill with your education? So looking into how you can really define your career path over the next few years to gain those skills. It's a tough one because there are so many jobs where there are a lot of very qualified candidates in Canada, but then there are plenty of industries that are lacking and specific skill sets where there's, there aren't many candidates. It's such a specialty that you really have to look from everywhere to find someone who's suitable. And the economy drives this, Adriana. It really does. You know, if Canada has got tons of unemployment all across the country, then yeah, it's going to be really hard for someone. And LinkedIn and the Job Bank and Indeed are not going to do anything for them because there just isn't a shortage of jobs. And so the economics and and the job market plays a significant role. When I first started my practice in the early 2000s, I remember 2003, 4, 5, the economy in Alberta was booming. It was unbelievably booming. There was less than 3% unemployment anywhere across all industries. And that was effectively full employment. And so in those days, I remember working with a company and we brought in over a thousand workers from Mexico alone to work in low wage positions. And so at the time, the economy was driving the job offer world. And so you're right, you know, in the midst of a pandemic, when many Canadians are laid off or out of work and there is high unemployment, it becomes a lot harder for an employer to be able to justify that they can't find someone in Canada. But this is also a very good thing to point out whether or not this job offer that seems too good to be true is actually real. 
And that's part of the reason why we wanted to do this was as much to educate people on what to expect with a legitimate job offer as it is to, you know, to identify all of these amazing jobs that are all waiting for nationals because they don't exist right now. There's not a lot for sure. But just like Chanel said, it's about preparing yourself, improving your chances. And yes, some industries do have higher demand than others. So... And if you are looking to upskill and prepare yourself and further your education, take on additional qualifications, then that's also something you could look to explore in Canada. And if there's a course here which really will further your career path and you can tie that back to your prior experience and qualifications, then you could be in with a chance of getting a study permit to come over and do that. So that's also an option to explore if you're not quite at the skill level required to um, be a specialist in one of those areas which there's a shortage of. Excellent. And Adriana is an immigration consultant in Canada and she's a past alumnus of the Canadian Immigration Institute. And that's a good segue to let people know that I was originally launching on January the 10th before I got COVID our spousal sponsorship course. So the cart is reopened up. Those who, who subscribed were very gracious and kind, but now it's, it's basically allowed me to open it up for another week for new people that are subscribing. And we're working right now at getting accreditation from the, uh, the regulator for the consultants and so that you guys can get uh, CPD credit and we'll keep you posted on that. But the next class, January the 24th to the 28th is open. So you guys will want to check that out for sure. And there should be a link in the description below. If there isn't, well, you can find it on the Canadian Immigration Institute page. All right. Great question, Adriana. Great comment. Appreciate that. Okay, here's a great one. So Khan says, how can I get a job offer on a visit visa? So I've got my own thoughts, Chanel, but what are your thoughts on this? Well, if, if you've come over on a visitor visa, you're only here temporarily to visit. So you can't start working on that visa. When you find the perfect job and an interview opportunity arises, then there's nothing stopping you actually attending an interview whilst you're here. But you wouldn't be able to start working until the, the LMIA process um, is complete and you've, been, you've received that job offer. Once you receive that, then obviously you would transition to a work permit. You'd no longer be a visitor. But something to emphasize is you absolutely are not allowed to work if you're here on a visitor visa. If you do work without authority in Canada, that can also cause big issues for future immigration uh, processes. So that's something to be very careful of. Attending yeah. an interview is fine, but actually conducting business whilst you're here as a visitor is not. And that's a good point too. Obviously, you've got a better shot of landing a job with a Canadian employer if you're in Canada and you can physically meet with them in person, then if you are overseas and their only connection with you is a resume and they need to get an LMIA to support you if they want to hire you. But if you are here and you do have a visitor visa, like Chanel said, there's nothing stopping you from getting to know some employers and introducing yourself and, and basically selling them on why you'd be an awesome candidate and why it would be worth them going through the LMIA process. And often I will advise people, if you can get a visitor visa, then come for interviews or things like that. But please understand, like Chanel said, that visitor visa, you never ever want to start working early while you're waiting for the work permit to be issued. And that's often one of the drawbacks. So I would never ever recommend you just sit in Canada on a visitor visa and wait till the work permit comes. It could be many months. And in those circumstances, if let's say you have to go down to the border to apply for your work permit, the border officers will ask you, how are you supporting yourself? 
did you really have sufficient funds? Have you started working early? You know, in a simple little phone search that is from your employer that says, hey, can you work tomorrow? Can devastate all of your plans. So please be aware of that. All right. Okay. Joe says, beyond extending the job offer, what does an employer need to do for a KUSMA work permit, LMIA exempt? Do you want to tackle that one, Chanel? Well, so extending the job offer, obviously, initially is extending a standard job offer following the recruitment process. But the employer actually needs to set themselves up in the portal with IRCC, and they have to actually extend a formal job offer through the portal. In doing so, they are demonstrating why they're looking to to recruit you. And following on from that, you would be preparing a, a package as the applicant to come through at the border and actually get your work permit approved there. And really, if you're here already, Joe, the process isn't much different than what you would have used to get your first KUSMA work permit. The employer still has to go back, register the job offer. And then the only difference really comes down to whether you're applying overseas at an embassy. You know, obviously everything is online now, but some people that are visa exempt, and maybe that's you, Joe, were able to apply for your work permit directly at the port of entry. And when you're in Canada, we really discourage people doing a loop around the pool to extend those work permits. We do prefer that you submit online and through the online filing from within Canada. That's usually the direction we go. But there's lots of different avenues and processes involved and options depending upon your circumstances. And we just recommend you slide over and book a consult and we can help you with any of those things. Okay. Okay. Syed says, hey, Mark, my employer in my home country is willing to sponsor my, I don't know. Let's, oh, visa. Okay. I don't know what that means. <laughs> I'll be honest. Your employer in your home country is willing to sponsor your visa. If they have an, an entity in Canada, maybe, and it's an intercompany transfer, that's great. I'm not sure exactly what the question is there. Uh, Chanel, maybe you've been able to decipher something else from Syed's question. I've interpreted it the same way. So if your employer in your home country doesn't have a presence in Canada, then that's not going to be an option until they have established themselves as a business here, which would be a very lengthy process to do. And they would obviously have to have reasons for wanting to conduct business here other than just sponsoring you to come over. But if they're a larger organization and they have a business here than an intercompany transfer might be what they're looking to do. And if they haven't done that before, again, they can also book a consult and we can help navigate them through that yeah. process. Yeah, we do that all the time. Okay, Hardy's got a great question. This one's right in your wheelhouse, Chanel. He says, do Canada, the US and Australia have the same type of resume style? Or no. does Canadian and Australian employers prefer a different CV? I can definitely speak to that being Australian. So I have mm -hmm. experience with both. Um, the Canadian and US CV style are quite different to Australia. Australia is much more similar to what you'd find in the UK or Europe, where it's a longer CV and they expect you to really detail everything you've ever done in your work. Whereas in Canada, what they really want is just short, sharp bullet points. They prefer to only have a one to two page document for your CV. And they just want all the key experience to be highlighted on there in the briefest way possible. And you can expand on it a little bit in your cover letter. So what I always recommend doing is flagging up your education at the top, very brief, go into a few key skills that you have that make you suitable for that particular job, and then list your employment and only list the detail for your employment that's really relevant to the job you're applying for. 
other jobs you've held that are not so relevant, just you can just get away with listing the employer and the job title and the dates that you held that position. You don't really have to go into too much detail. So that's a good way to keep it concise and then really just build on your suitability in the cover letter and you know, explain why you're interested in coming to Canada and how readily available you are to come here. Awesome. Great insight. Okay. So he'll ask a very good question. He says, some professions are regulated in Canada, like architecture. How can we outlanders be verified by a regulatory body to be licensed or registered in that profession to be able to get a valid job offer? So that for each profession, you're going to have to really research what the qualifications are here. And there's, you know, a different route to go down for every profession. Some of them might require you to have a certain level of Canadian education or to have the equivalent. You might have to do some exams to meet that equivalency, or there might just be professional exams locally that you have to take. There might be industries where your overseas qualifications are somewhat recognized and you've just got a gap that you need to 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 fill or there might be some industries where you have to start completely from scratch with your professional qualifications so it's really individual to each um, industry that you're in and if you search for the professional body in Canada they should have all that information on the website for how to become qualified and I want to tell you guys that Chanel this is a great question for her because she had to go through this herself right so tell us a little bit about your story we've got a few minutes here tell us about your journey Yeah, so my journey, obviously, I had to convert, I guess, my Australian law qualification into a Canadian one when I came here. Luckily, Australia and Canada are both common law, so they're quite similar in terms of of the law. And most of the subjects I had taken previously in Australia did translate to Canada, but there were a few key ones I had to do. And in my experience, I had the option of actually sitting some exams to meet that criteria. Or in my case, I, I took a master's to, to, that ticked off those boxes. And at the same time, it gave me a master's, which was a great qualification to receive on top of it. So once I had ticked off those requirements and my Australian qualification was deemed equivalent to a Canadian one, I was then able to go through the standard licensing process here that all Canadian lawyers go through. I did articles and I sat the bar exams and then I was admitted as a lawyer that way. So there were no shortcuts, unfortunately, in the legal side. And I I predict that probably a lot of industries are similar to that where you just have to go through the full qualification process. But it's something I'd recommend anyway, just because you're coming into, you know, an industry in a new country and it's you want to know what you're doing and how things work here. So actually going through that process gives you the knowledge to hit the ground running and actually operate the same way as a Canadian uh, law student would once they've qualified. So it's for me, taking the master's was important because I actually wanted to learn more about the law in Canada rather than just pass those exams and tick off the boxes. Excellent. Okay, scoop here with Nikki says, which province hires business development officers? I'm going to point you back to the job bank, which is what Chanel had mentioned as a potential place that you can look for jobs, although the likelihood of landing one through the job bank is lower than, say, Indeed or somewhere like that. But this is a good place where you can search, you know, what the job market looks like for that types of position. So head over to the job bank. I'm not going to dive into it in any degree of depth here, Nikki, but, uh, but that's what I'd recommend that you take a look at the job bank and it can give you an idea as to the job market for those types of positions in each particular province. Oh, all right. I'll pull this one up and I'll give another applause here. 
So Riri says, I got my PR via TR to PR International grad on January the 6th. That is just, oh, just a couple days ago, a couple weeks ago. Thanks. Thank you for all your YouTube videos. That's awesome. I love that. That is so cool. You know, that TR to PR program was such a wonderful success. And that's what I'm trying to do, you guys. I'm trying to create within the Canadian Immigration Institute options for everything that you guys are talking about. Not just express entry, not just spousal sponsorship. We have an LMIA course, working on a PR card renewal course and a bunch of other ones. And my goal is to get these out and launched. And part of the challenge is that is that I spend so much time doing uh, consultations and the client work, which is really important, that it's preventing me from really taking that to the next level. So that's why I've got awesome lawyers like Chanel and Alicia and Susan who are, well, they're all smarter than I am anyways, who are awesome uh, choices for you guys as you are seeking that extra little bit of help to get you over uh, that hump that you're kind of stuck with. Okay, let's see here. So Sam says, I'm working in a company for more than one year with my postgrad. Do I still need an LMIA to extend my work permit? Is there any way to extend a work permit for me without the LMIA? What a perfect segue, Chanel, into if we go right back here, you guys. So it's we were going to do it this week, but we're actually, it's going to be next week. If you go to our resource section, go to blogs, you will see that Alicia has drafted a amazing blog post, just like Chanel, on this topic. How long can I stay in Canada after my work permit expires? Well, the reality is this goes into depth over a ton of different options for people when they're trying to figure out what their options are when their work permits are expiring. And I'm not, you know, you can go here, you guys can read that, but definitely go check that out, Sam, because there are, you know, there's a lot of good solid advice and direction that Alicia has embedded in that blog. Next week, we're going to do an episode just like this one with Alicia on this exact topic. All right, let's see what else we have here. So I know that is job offer is hard, but people were ready to go for any way just to immigrate. Yes, that is true because other way it's hard. So tell me, should immigration be reformed? No, immigration shouldn't be reformed. And the reason is that the government has to set rules. They have to determine how many people they're going to bring into Canada. They have to choose who they're going to select and who they're not because they have caps. There's only so many people that they can allow in each year. So they have to set those rules. He says, uh, getting a skilled and an education to improve in Canada is difficult. It is. Lots of study permits are refused. So Canada is blocking it from all the way. Yes, they are. Once again, it comes down to that levels plan and Canada having the ability to choose who they want to come in, the qualifications of those individuals, as well as the numbers. So that's definitely what comes into play. And then he says, so I believe Canada doesn't want immigrants at all. They just say it in blank and that is it. Okay, well, we know that's probably you expressing your frustration because clearly that's not the case. Of all the countries in the world, Canada has one of the most pro-immigration policies that's literally out there. But I understand what you're saying and I can feel the words. I can feel your frustration. Let's see what else here. A couple more and then we'll wrap this up. Yes, Hardy says, I fulfilled my continuous experience for the year. That's his one year for CEC. When will the masterclass for FSW will be open? That masterclass is going to be open in February. I'm waiting just like you guys for the next invitation to apply. And then it's going to be a massive masterclass. There's going to be a ton of people in it with everybody just now racing to, to figure out, okay, am I eligible? Is this going to work for me now that the government has restarted it? And I think we're all just waiting and praying that it's going to happen soon. 
Okay, let's see here. Yeah, this will be our last comment from, from Sabia. It's a good topic because in Pakistan, every second immigration consultants are asking for $100,000 for a job offer and people are ready to give. This is so sad. If only people would just be aware of the whole process of job offer. You're right, my friend. It is really disappointing. And you've got crooked employers in Canada who are happy to take 50000 of those $100,000 for themselves to offer the job offer. And part of the problem, I'm going to put it on the government, is that they don't have teeth. The government does not enforce. They don't punish employers. As far as I'm concerned, a company or a business that enters into this agreement, if they're in a a licensed regime, the city should take away their business license, should literally shut down their operations so that they cannot function. Because I'll tell you, anyone who's using this system to get workers and are exploiting them and any consultant or agent or lawyer Hopefully not lawyers are involved in this scheme, but anyone who's involved in this type of a scheme should not have the ability to practice at all. And I have no respect for any companies that enter into this, and I hear about them all the time, and I just don't service them. I wish I could tell the world about them, but I can't because it's always solicitor client privilege prevents me from doing that. But when I see this happening, yeah, it's because it actually creates a competitive advantage in the marketplace for crooked employers. So... There's my little rant. All right, Chanel, we're going to wrap it up there. Do you have any last thoughts on this little topic of job offers? Anything you'd like to add before we wrap up today and say thank you to everyone? I think just coming back to that final comment, like it's such a widespread issue and that's why we're trying to raise awareness of the topic. So share the blog post with anyone you know and just try and raise the awareness so hopefully people will stop falling for these crooked schemes. Yeah, I agree. All right. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. And thank you, Chanel, for your blog. It was awesome. And for coming and sharing this insight on job offers. My pleasure. Thanks, everyone. See you later. Thank you for listening to the Canadian Immigration Podcast, your trusted source for information on Canadian immigration law policy and practice. If you would like to book a legal consultation, please visit www.holtylaw.com. You can also find lots more helpful information on our Canadian Immigration Institute YouTube channel, where you can join Mark on one of his many Canadian Immigration Live Q&As. See you soon, and all the best as you navigate this crazy world we call Canadian Immigration.